You're listening to Policy, Guns and Money, your fortnightly podcast on all things defence and strategy. I'm sure you've all been paying attention to everything that's been happening in China and specifically with the Australia-China relationship for the last few weeks. We've got a special episode to take you through that news with Peter Jennings, ASPE's Executive Director, and Michael Shoebridge, Director of Defence Strategy and National Security here at ASPE. Well, hello everyone, it's Peter Jennings here and welcome to Policy, Guns and Money, ASPE's increasingly popular podcast. And we've got a special edition for you this week. It's me talking to ASPE's Michael Shoebridge about the many events happening with regard to China around the world. Michael, it's been a pretty busy week, hasn't it? It has been uh, good to keep up with it, though. So I think one of the most interesting things to happen this week was the uh, New York Times revelation, probably no better word for it, of over 400 pages of Chinese language documents which have been released concerning China's policies towards Xinjiang. What did you make of this uh, board of uh, documentation, Michael? Well, I thought the first thing was it's amazing that it exists and that we have it. And it really does dispel the myth that General Secretary Xi's China is this closed shop uh, that's a unitary entity that you just can't get anything out of. Yeah. Uh, this is a, it's a treasure trove of internal Chinese government documentation, including some very chilling directives from Xi Jinping himself. Yes, in fact, quite a lot of uh, speeches, over 50 pages, I think, of speeches from uh, Siege, which actually shows that the current policies that China is implementing in Xinjiang province, the so-called re-education centres, the attempts to essentially make the ethnic Uyghurs uh, more loyal to the the party regime, comes directly from the president himself. Mm. So, in fact, think about it this way. There's In Washington at the moment, there's this impeachment set of proceedings where they're trying to find the smoking gun that attaches Donald Trump to withholding $400 million of military assistance for Ukraine. Uh, This is 400 pages of smoking guns, including pages of Z's own speeches, that directly connects Z to the brutal uh, violence and repression of his own people in Xinjiang. And uh, uh, Michael, as a former public servant, both of us former public servants, the first thing I thought of when I read the New York Times was this report of a senior Chinese official uh, that is said to have wanted to bring this information out into the public realm. In some ways, that's a very positive sign that um, China is not necessarily the the monolithic one-party state that it makes itself out to be. Well, it's fascinating, isn't it? There's been quite a bit of analysis about the fact that Xi is extremely powerful, but he's been purging anyone that doesn't agree with him or support his faction. Well, clearly, if you've got 89 million people in the Chinese Communist Party, you can't purge all the people that don't agree with you. And it sounds like, who knows, was it just one? There may have been more than one um, empowered Chinese official that created this treasure trove and handed it over. Well, I think one of the lessons of Leninism, which uh, Xi Jinping claims to be a very close adherent of, is that you can't purge your way into power forever. It, it's going to end badly, as, as it did with the, the original Lenin. One wonders where it will uh, end from here. What the other interesting thing in the documents, they show that some Chinese government officials refused to implement these particularly evil directives. 
and uh, despite being pressured, and it looks like they were dismissed and probably punished for that. So it's not just a naked power struggle that we see inside the regime. It's also some ethical people willing to stand up and suffer consequences for doing that. What's clear about Xinjiang also is that governments uh, and oppositions can't ignore it anymore. And we did see some reactions from our, our own political leadership. Yes, quite good reactions, I think. I thought uh, Foreign Minister Payne uh, is increasingly uh, clear and strong on issues around China policy and recognising that this, this is a very disturbing trail of documentation that connects the atrocities in Jiang right to the most senior leader of communist China. Mm. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, another big thing, well, big for Australia, probably not big for Beijing, was the planned China Matters tour uh, of uh, a bunch of uh, Chinese companies and Chinese government agencies. There were two Australian MPs that were going to go along on this fact-finding and discovery tour and they both were refused visas by the Chinese embassy. Yes, that's right. Uh, Andrew Hasty, uh, who has been quite vocal, in, including writing uh, in The Australian uh, in ways which are directly critical of the Chinese regime, and uh, Senator James Patterson from Victoria, who, among other things, has been a strong supporter of um, Aspie Michael uh, at the time when uh, our friends in Huawei were writing to um, Aspie's sponsors Patterson was uh, quite actively defending us in the public realm, saying it was inappropriate to try and quell Aspie's voice on, on these issues. And uh, both of those were identified by the Chinese government as not being sufficiently um, compliant, I guess, towards uh, Beijing's perspectives to allow them to receive a visa unless they were prepared to repent their ways, Michael, which I felt was a very Old Testament way of describing what um, the Chinese government wanted them to do. Well, I suppose seeing themselves as a religion rather than a, uh, a Leninist organisation, that's a new insight we have about the Chinese Communist Party. Well, yes. I mean, look, I think there's, there's a, a really serious point of concern about this, which is to say that I think any democracy would find it unacceptable to be put into a situation where China says, look, if you have politicians that support us, then it's banquets all the way in Beijing from here to eternity. But if you've got politicians that oppose us, there's no way they're going to get into the country. I, th I think it's very like the attempt by the Chinese government to silence critical corporate voices. So the whole National Basketball Association controversy in the US where an NBA team official sent a tweet supporting uh, democracy in Hong Kong and the whole weight of the Chinese state came down on the MBA and uh, turn Chinese consumers away from gains. So it's this same broad approach to silencing criticism and dissent. It certainly creates a, a harder edge of Beijing's public face to deal with. I don't know that this is necessarily going to win them any friends. And on that line, um, the other thing that happened in Australia-China relations this week was our own government deciding to cease attempting to have uh, either ministerial or officials level dialogue with China on human rights issues. Mm. What did you make of that? Well, it turns out that the Australia-China human rights dialogue, which has been running for over 20 years, has been suspended. And But it was suspended in August. I, I actually think it's a healthy sign. I think it's, you know, as Billy Joel said, honesty is such a lonely word, but mostly what I need from you. It was a sham dialogue uh, and it was was giving a fig leaf of respectability to both the Australian and uh, Chinese governments 
that there was engagement on human rights. Um, we know that there is no appetite uh, to protect and advance the human rights of the Chinese people. And we know that even more now that we've seen that 400-page treasure trove around Xinjiang. Yeah, I think uh, it may just have been a coincidental timing, but it was probably uh, good from our government's perspective that the, the announcement came this week. I mean, clearly, you, you can't have a dialogue when one party is not interested in, in talking on these issues. And having it happen in a week where the violence in Hong Kong has been ratcheted up yet again by the Chinese authorities, you know, with the siege of the Polytechnic. Yes, well, we should talk about Hong Kong because clearly this is, I think, the uh, the global issue which is concerning um, the, the entire world as we see a peaceful, uh, frankly, very pleasant area uh, turn itself into something that looks more like a war zone. And, of course, this week with the um, siege at the Polytechnic, as you say, uh, we've now reached new levels of violence. What's, what's your take on the developments this week, Michael? And, and, you know, how do you think it's going to play out over the, the relative short term? I think the violence is intentional from Beijing. Um, so that first, the Hong Kong authorities are being controlled by Beijing. This is not a Carrie Lam special. Um, and for Beijing, Hong Kong isn't really about Hong Kong. It's about mainland China mm. and sending a very clear message to the 1.4 billion people in mainland China that there will be no political opening. Um, and Xi has said some particularly strong things about, uh, he, he's now used the line, Hong Kong is risking the one country, two systems model. And I think in that inscrutable way of his, when he makes these pronouncements, he is foreshadowing his intention to end the one country, two systems model. Well, there certainly doesn't appear to be any appetite for two systems anymore. That that's, that seems to be uh, Beijing's bottom line. I mean, amongst the, the many um, stories that I thought were significant about this week was firstly, we saw the Hong Kong police go onto a university campus, which by convention is something they've not done for, for decades. The other thing which was really curious, Michael, was we saw the a garrison of the People's Armed mm -hmm. Police um, actually come out onto the streets, not according to the terms of the uh, Hong Kong Basic Law, which says that the Hong Kong Legislative Assembly has to request it, but turning up in shorts and T-shirts to mm. collect rubbish. Mm. And I think the only way this can be read is a sort of a, a softening up of um, mm. uh, international reaction to the possibility that they will come I out agree. as a I agree. I think it's acclimatising the world to the PLA being on the streets of Hong Kong. Mm. So it's, it's giving him yet another violent lever to pull. Uh, the other thing that happened was uh, the UK consulate employee in Hong Kong uh, that was held in arbitrary detention for about 15 days. He's released a detailed account of the torture and abuse that he suffered at mm. the hands of uh, the Chinese intelligence authorities and police. And what it tells me is those over 4,000 Hong Kong citizens that have been arrested will be still experiencing that level of violence and abuse inside the Chinese uh, we call it justice system, but it's probably better called a paramilitary prison system. Yeah. It's been interesting to watch the reactions of people to the increasing levels of violence. I have heard a number of people say that they think the students, as they're described, although I think it's a broader group than that, are sort of undermining uh, international support for them by use of their own violence. But my sense is that really what's that 
is demonstrating is is the absolute desperation that mm. you can see on the part of young Hong Kongers. I think it's despair, and yeah. I I think they will have taken some encouragement from the fact that the U.S. Senate unanimously passed a Hong Kong Democracy Act um, yesterday, and that that foreshadows U.S. sanctions around individual Chinese officials who have been involved in or directed the violence. That's something that other countries need to get on board with if our values mean anything to us. So, Michael, just to quickly finish up, we also had a conference in Sydney this week which got a fair amount of uh, media attention addressed by uh, leading international statesman uh, Paul Keating, whose basic message seemed to be that Australia simply needed to get used to the reality of uh, powerful China that was going to do things we didn't like and that the problem, as he saw it, was an absence of strategic thinking in Canberra. Um, any reactions to those comments from Paul Keating? Well, I think, unfortunately, his main policy prescription is to pretend it's the 1990s and the China that we're engaging with then is the China that we face now. Uh, the Chinese state is much more aggressive and assertive in using its power domestically and globally. And we see that within our own society, which is why we have the foreign interference legislation passed by a thumping majority of, of Commonwealth parliamentarians. So uh, unfortunately, I'd, I'd love to adopt his prescriptions, but I'd have to have a time machine that took me back to the 90s. The other interesting thing is a bunch of people calling for nuance uh, in Australia's management of its relationship with China. But when you drill into what that nuance is, they mean just accepting the harsh reality of doing business um, with an authoritarian state, close your eyes to the authoritarianism and make a lot of money. Yes, I think that that line um, is increasingly threadbare on the part of those people that have been advocating it. And frankly, what's needed is more honest talk to describe what's really going on uh, in a way that I think normal Australians can see when they turn on their TV sets and mm. see What's happening in Sydney? I think the other big thing um, with this line is the feeling that Australia is alone in dealing with Beijing. Well, Beijing is, is a powerful set of state actors, uh, but China has 1.4 billion people. There are 7.6 billion people on the planet. Uh, we are not alone in dealing with Beijing, and in fact, we're an increasingly good company. Well, Michael, let's see what next week brings, and I look forward to the next time we can have a chat on Policy Guns and Money. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Policy Guns and Money. As always, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can tweet us at aspie underscore org. We'll be back next week with another special episode. Stay tuned. <laughs>